This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 323, Heart of Stone. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, examining it for deep space meanings and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, Heart of Stone, the one where Nog wants to be an officer and a gentleman, and Odo ends up romancing the stone. Mm. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. John, I feel like sometimes we may need to... We've been doing this show for like seven years now. It feels like it. Yeah, well, it, and, it, and it's true. Um, I feel like, though, uh, maybe we've misnamed some things. Like, like we've got this whole section called trivia that I know is actually very important to you. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very important to a lot of people. Yeah. Why don't we call this uh, Tasty Tidbits of Importance with John Champion? Mm. Or we could just call it trivia. Because, you know, I guess if you want, that, that would that would fit the bill, too. Hey, today's episode, Heart of Stone, uh, the story and teleplay credit go to Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. So, of course, two veteran DS9 writers and producers. Now, there's a particular plot thread in here that was inspired by a book and a movie that I had never heard of. So I uh, I looked him up uh, called Sometimes a Great Notion. Uh, the book by Ken Kesey came out in 1964. But the movie from 1971 was directed by and stars Paul Newman. Uh, you've got this family of loggers in Oregon. And in one part, one of them gets his foot stuck under a log, trapping him. I don't want to spoil it too much, but you know the old saying, live by the log. So today's episode was directed by Alexander Singer. We haven't talked too much about Alex in a while. He directed six episodes of TNG, including Relics, and his first episode of DS9 was Second Sight in early Season 2. A few more to go with Alex here, and then he'll move on to direct several episodes of Voyager. Hey, Ken, remember how we mentioned that uh, Nana Visitor is claustrophobic and she really hated being in the Cardassian makeup for that episode Second Skin? I do. 
Well, yeah. So that claustrophobia doesn't just go away suddenly between shooting episodes. Uh, so uh, she still had it. And then this episode comes along like, hey, Kira slash Nana, we're going to stick you in a giant rock prop where you'll have to be still because you can't move. Um, she was not too thrilled with that. And incidentally, nobody on set or in the production was really happy with the way that rock prop turned out. Didn't quite turn out in execution the way it was described in the script, but that's what we got. They should have used real rock. They should have. I mean, that would have made all the sense in the world. And would have made her very happy, I feel certain. Sure, absolutely. Let's talk about guest star as well. Not too many to mention here. Of course, always good to see the recurring characters like Rom and Nog, since it's been a while that we've seen them together. Uh, so we have a good deal of Aaron Eisenberg here, and of course, an appearance by Max Gridenchik as Rom. Now, you'll have to stay until the end credits to see the name Salome Jens. Of course, we have seen her before as the female changeling slash founder in The Search, parts one and two. Prior to that, she was the early humanoid in the TNG episode, The Chase. So the thing is, they didn't want to spoil the big twist in this episode right at the beginning by having her name in the opening credits. So it was agreed to move her name to the end credits, a rarity for prominent guest stars. Once had a love, and it was a guess. Soon turned out, had a heart of, um, this episode is called Heart of Stone. Prologue. Kira and Odo are on their way back from eh, someplace doing something. Odo's a bit testy, though. When they were invited to dinner by the governor of the place, Kira said no, without even asking Odo how he felt about it. Sure, he hates things like that, and yes, he'd have said no, but she should have asked. This quarrel, spat, eh, whatever it is, it's interrupted by what looks like an attack on a Lysippian freighter by a Maquis ship. The freighter looks fine, so Kira and Odo pursue the Maquis. Act 1. Welcome to the Badlands. Kind of like the Briar Patch, but not called that. All kinds of interference is messing with sensors, though the DS9 runabout is able to track the Maquis ship to a moon where it's trying to land. With no idea what they're up against, they follow the Maquis ship in. On DS9, Nog has come to Commander Sisko with a big bag of gold-pressed latinum. He's a man now, according to his culture, and he would like to buy an internship with the commander because, wait for it, he wants to be the first Ferengi in Starfleet. Of course, that's not how it works. Nog would have to go to the academy, but being a non-Federation citizen, he would actually have to have a letter of recommendation from a command-level officer just to take the exam. So Sisko will write the letter for him? He'll think about it. On the moon where the Maquis landed, Kira and Odo are winding their way through some caves. The caves are unstable, and Kira and Odo would like to get gone. They'll split up, look for the Maquis separately. If they can't find them in 20 minutes, they'll leave them behind and take off. No sooner have they split up than Kira calls to Odo. She's lodged her foot between some rocks and can't move. But she's not lodged her foot. Some sort of crystal has encased it. And the crystal is growing. Act 2. Kira can't free herself. Odo can't break the crystal. When Kira shoots it with a phaser, the crystal actually grows bigger, encasing more of her leg. 
Odo calls the runabout to beam them out, though communications are being hampered by the same thing that's hampering sensors. So Odo walks back to the runabout to beam Kira out. Back on DS9, Quark's giving Rom and Nog an earful for not having the bar's replicator fixed. Uh, that would be the replicator that Quark failed to maintain properly, as Rom told him he should. When Nog's alone, Jake stops by. Really funny joke you pulled earlier today, telling my dad you want to be in Starfleet? Wait, you did not tell your father it was a joke, did you? Jake says of course he did, because it was, wasn't it? Nog never said anything about Starfleet before. Well, he's saying it now. He wants to go to Starfleet. He doesn't want to say why, but he assures Jake this is no joke, no trick. And if Jake could tell his dad that, that'd be great. Back at Kira and Odo's runabout on the moon. Surprise! Transporters won't transport Kira out. There's interference, you see. They also can't get a subspace message to Deep Space Nine because, you guessed it, interference. Odo sends a probe instead, but that'll take a couple of days. Headed back into the tunnel, Odo hears phaser fire. He races to Kira, still caught in the crystal, and dag nabbit, you just missed the Maquis dude. He went that away. Shots behind Kira show the Maquis man just missed his target. Act 3. On DS9, Cisco's got bad news for Nog. He's not sure he can recommend Nog for the Starfleet exam. He's had trouble. On the station, with Odo, you know... Nog acknowledges his past mistakes, though he says he can do better if given a chance. And with that, Nog moves on to round two. Cisco has Dax assign a complete inventory of a very full cargo bay 12 to Nog. Give him no help, no supervision. Give him the job. Back on the unstable moon, Kira is now up to her waist in crystal. Ever the suspicious one, Odo's starting to wonder whether the Maquis dude brought them here to trap them. It's seriously almost too good a trap to be coincidence. But it's not going to work. Odo says he will free Kira. Even if they do only have 12 hours to figure out how. Because that's how long Kira figures they have. But Odo thinks he has figured out a solution. He'll build a frequency generator to try to shatter the crystal growing around the Major. But he'll have to go back to the runabout to get the parts he'll need. Keep your phaser at the ready. I'll be back. Back on DS9, Dax gives Nog the inventory job. He's got until tomorrow morning to have the completed manifest to Cisco, though he says he'll have it to the commander before Cisco goes off duty tonight. Back on the moon, Odo's working on freeing Kira. It's not going well, though they are making conversation about Odo's standing date with O'Brien to kayak in a hollow suite. It's a tough program. O'Brien's actually hurt himself doing it a few times. But he loves it. And if there's one thing Odo's learned about humanoids, they have a hard time giving up something they love, even if it hurts them. Just then, the cave's instability kicks in again, and rocks start falling down on the pair. Act 4. Shape of a Canopy. Odo shields Kira from the falling rock with his shape-shifting, shimmering self. The machine he built to free Kira is still working away, though it's not found the right frequency. He tries to reassure her with some platitude, though she says she's not one for platitudes. She'd rather face the truth and go from there. Odo says, that's him too. They figure that's why they get along so well. One thing, though, and Odo says this is no platitude, he will get her out of there. 
Back on Deep Space Nine, Cisco and Dax are talking over the inventory turned in by Nog. Really impressive work. Incredible, according to Dax. He even found some stuff they didn't find on the last inventory, and he did it all by himself. Fine. He can do the hard work, but why does he want to? That part still has the Starfleet officers stumped. Back on the moon, Odo is confused. The machine he built should have found the frequency to break the crystal. It's almost like the crystal is manipulating itself to keep that from happening. The crystal has continued its growth, up to Kira's neck now. While Odo struggles to find a solution to the problem, Kira just wants him to talk to her. So he tells her the story of how he got his name. It's really kind of a terrible story. Originally translated as unknown entity, it eventually got shortened to a Cardassian word that means nothing. And Odo thought that was perfect. He had no friends, no family, no past. Nothing seemed a perfect name. Then he met Kira. And Dax and Sisko and even Quark. And now when they call him Odo, he doesn't hear nothing. He hears me. Time to face another truth. The frequency generator he built isn't going to work. With no more ideas, Kira makes the call. Time for Odo to go. He's to take the runabout and get out of here. Go before they're both trapped here. That's an order. Act 5. Yeah, he's not going. She orders him again, and he resigns his commission. You see, he's in love with Major Kira. And he tells her so. And she stuns Odo, telling him that she's in love with him, too. Back on Deep Space Nine, Sisko's thought about Nog's request, and it's request denied. Sisko doesn't know Nog's scheme, but it's over. But Nog says it's not a scheme. He wants to be in Starfleet more than he's ever wanted anything. And pushed to say why he admits it. It's because he doesn't want to end up like his father. Rom is brilliant at all things mechanical. At business, he's the worst. But he's been chasing profit his whole life, and missing. He doesn't have the lobes, and neither does Nog. Had Rom had a chance, he could have been chief engineer of any ship in Starfleet. Now the best he can hope for is, maybe, someday, inheriting Quark's bar. For himself, Nog wants more. He wants to do something worthwhile, He's got his father's hands and his uncle's tenacity. He knows he has something to offer. He just needs a chance to prove it. And Sisko agrees. He'll make sure that Nog gets that chance. The letter goes off first thing tomorrow. Back on the moon, something still doesn't add up. Looking at the shot on the wall the Maquis took at Kira, it would have had to go through Kira, not near her, through her to hit where it did. That's two times Kira lied to him today. Once about being shot at, and the time that she said she loved him. He can really read people, and as much as he wishes what she'd said was true, that she did love him, he knows she does not. So, he says, drawing a phaser, what say we start telling the truth? Like who you really are, and what you've done with Kira. Okay, it's the female shapeshifter from Odo's homeworld. She was the fugitive that they were chasing, though obviously not actually Maquis. This whole thing was to figure out why Odo would choose a life among the solids rather than his own people. 
The Kira thing makes sense. His love for her, that is. The plan was to make Odo think Kira had died, then he'd go back to his people. He says even without Kira, that would never happen. He'll never go back. Under threat, the female changeling tells Odo where Kira is, tells Odo that Kira could never love him, then beams away. Odo saves the real Kira, and they take off. Back on Deep Space Nine, Odo's told Kira most of the story, leaving out the part where he'd said that he loves her and she'd said it too. Instead, he says she simply said something that Odo knows Kira would never say. Just a slip of the tongue. In Quarks, Nog has told his father and uncle about his plans for Starfleet. Quark says he won't stand for it, but Rom finally stands up to Quark. Quark may be in charge of the bar, though when it comes to his son, he makes the decisions. He wishes Nog good luck and says he'd be proud to have a son in Starfleet. The end. Oh, man. Hey, that uh, Lesepian ship, uh, Odo says right away, <laughs> his attitude stabilizers have failed. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I got that on a report card uh, one time <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah, it's a good thing it happened when it did, because today they'd put you on Vasican. Oh, they, you see, and uh, yeah, nobody wants to be on Vasican. Too many side effects, too unpredictable. Side effects are, are it's not a small list. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Entirely too many. So, uh, so Prophet's Landing, that is like such a mid 80s development name. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> right. like yeah. the kind of place you'd want to move to. Or like if I donate enough to the 700 Club, I might be able to vacation there a couple of weeks a year. Oh, that would be lovely. That would be so nice to do that. Yeah. Props, by the way, it's so rare that this happens like in such a timely way. But somebody actually sent us a thing earlier uh, on Twitter. Yeah. That uh, that uh, had knots landing, but they had crossed out knots and put profits. Right. And yeah, uh, hats off to you, sir. Adam, I believe it was. Uh, that was Adam. Adam, yeah. all the way in the UK, uh, just dropping the comedy. Uh, there you go. Right there. Yeah. Well done. So thanks to him. Hey, um, it, this is an interesting thing. So you need a letter from a command level officer before you can even take the exam to get into Starfleet Academy. Mm -hmm. um, well, if you're only, a non-Federation citizen. I was going to say only if you're from outside the Federation. That is correct. Right, right. So, And I'm just wondering, do all commanders do this? I mean, how many people are they meeting while they're out there doing command things, people who are non-Federation citizens? Like, uh, Wesley was lucky. First of all, he is a Federation citizen, um, and at least he's on board a ship where you have a lot of command level uh, officers. Um, but everybody's basically trying to avoid him at first anyway. Like, no, don't don't be on the bridge where command level officers are doing things. You know, um, so I just think all these people who aren't Wesley, this is really tough. If you're a Nog, I mean, you just lucked out that you happen to be on this huge station that only has 300 people on it. And there's a commander there that you can at least get a little bit of face time with. But man, that that is a long road for somebody who just wants to take the exam to get into the academy. You think they have like a pre-screening you could do online or something? Uh, you, well, so ComNet was a thing in the 2020s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. But was it actually yeah. a thing still by the 24th century? Maybe not. Maybe continent it becomes sentient. It has to be killed. Then you just you got to start over. Yeah, um, it makes the Federation or really Starfleet seem a lot like the Masons to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because 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 I don't know if you know, but the Masons can't recruit. But if you want to be a Mason, you ask a Mason about how to become a Mason. 
Yeah. And then, and then they'll, and then maybe, you know, I mean, it's not like you're in at that point, but I mean, first you have to, you have to want it enough to ask somebody to write a letter for you to Starfleet. And then they have to not hate you enough to like, you know, Dane write you a letter. Yeah. It, it's a, it's like being a professional actor. You can't join SAG, right? Uh, Screen Actors Guild, unless you work on a SAG project, but you can't work on a SAG project unless you're a member. It's, it, it, it's it's nuts. I tell you, it's that's fairly ridiculous. Also, whose job is it to read those letters? <laughs> right. Where does he send right. that letter? I mean, or or do you just like do you get the letter, and then you just show up at Starfleet to take the exam on exam day? It used to be Remick, but but we see what happened to him. Ever since that cleanup, they just they they haven't assigned somebody new. That's yeah. really kind of terrible. Yeah. Um, uh, thinking about the uh, uh, predicament that Kira and Odo are in, I'm wondering, did they not watch the episode Paradise? <laughs> or or did Cisco and uh, and O'Brien not tell them what happened in the episode Paradise? Because remember, mm. uh, they were getting nothing off that planet. So they're like, yeah. oh, we better land. And then they couldn't take off. <laughs> and then you would think that would be like standing order number two now would be like, listen, if you're getting absolutely nothing off a planet where you've seen people, where you know that there are people, if you're getting absolutely nothing back, yeah. walk away or yeah. or use the buddy system. Wait for sure. another runabout. Have the Yangtze come and, you know, wait for the Mekong. I think the Yangtze got destroyed, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Have the no. Colorado. Have the Colorado come <laughs> and, like, you know, overhead or the, or the big Harpeth. That was a river near where I grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's all. A, a, so a naming good rivers is all. Naming, naming good, point. yeah, good yeah. call. Uh, the Cahaba was the closest to my house where I grew oh, up. Oh, nice. So Wait, what about be... the Chattahoochee? Well, oh, I love the Chattahoochee. That one runs yeah. a little hot, actually. It's... It gets hotter. Than other things is what I hear. Yeah, yeah, I, I know where you're headed with that. Hey, uh, the the founder, the changeling, who uh, we meet again here. Now, did, did she form a working com badge in order to hail Odo when they first got into the cave? Um, and also a working Bajoran phaser, which I figure could just be an optical illusion. Okay, because, well, hold on, because she'd already knocked out Kira. Yeah, so she could be using her com badge. Okay. All right. Okay. Good point there. I did find myself that the phaser did kind of like weird me out. So like a particularly good changeling can apparently shoot itself with a phaser and not feel it. Yes. Or can a particularly good changeling actually turn part of itself into something else and then leave that part laying over there? Because 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 Odo goes to shoot her with the phaser, right? I mean, he hasn't really, but he's like, I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nobody ever has. He's like, well, first time for everything. And she's like, okay, I'll tell you what you want to know, because I really don't want to be shot with a phaser. But we had seen her shoot herself with a phaser earlier. Or did she? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I wondered about that. And I guess the combat thing I was thinking, well, I can't remember in that last scene where Odo pulls the real Kira out of that little stasis chamber thing if she actually had her combat on mm. at that point. Uh, because then the other thing is, well, when you got the changeling turning from rock Kira back into goo and then back into the changeling, was there a little uh, uh, Bajoran communicator that just like hits the ground? at that point where it gets absorbed into all the other goo it's a, it's a whole thing i mean look all i'm saying is odo still has trouble with faces and this founder is just like i'm a combadge i'm a phaser i'm a rock uh, well, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know? here's what i'm gonna say so she's putting kira in the little like you know sarcophagus right mm-hmm. she taps kira 
Kira's comm badge, but leaves it on Kira. Yeah. So there yeah, you go. Okay. Although All I right. think that would be bad because then if she woke up somehow, then she could just like, you know, beep yeah. and be like, yeah. hey, Odo, it's me. And Odo would be like, but I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, what? Got- what I'm getting is that it, it, it seems like the founders can really form themselves into anything with working parts, which is really a hell of a trick i mean i i think from from all of this i get that they can because again the phaser thing is a question can you as you said form a, a part of a thing and then leave that thing somewhere else that's still in the shape of that thing while you're forming into something else and i'm glad you mentioned it form of because it's clearly we mentioned before not like the wonder twins where it's like one of them is an animal form right. of a gorilla and the other one is a giant icicle or right. uh, a waterfall or right. a bucket of water. Yes. And that's, that's it. Okay. All right. Changelings are good. They are yeah. really good at this. Yeah they're, yeah, they're pretty cool, except for the part where they're, you know, secretly running the universe. Oh, they're evil. Right. There's right. that problem <laughs> that, there. That's the one thing. Yeah. Uh, it was a great uh, line here. I mean, uh, the Ferengi characters always have good lines. Everything that goes wrong here is your fault. It says so in your contract. That's that's a pretty fabulous line that Quark has. But I did wonder, like, there's no Ferengi rule about an ounce of prevention. You know, because the, the whole argument is about the replicator and Nog and Rom had said, hey, this thing needs to be serviced like once a week. You got to shut it down. You got to do a little just routine maintenance where something might go wrong. And then Quark is like, no, just keep it running all the time. And you're like, well, now it went wrong. Well, if he's got somebody that he can blame, though, an exact payment from, then it's really a win win. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's down, because as you mentioned, there are very few places to eat, Right. And mm-hmm. and people like the atmosphere of quarks. People like the like the camaraderie, the bon ami. They yeah, like you yeah, know the yeah. good times that can be had down at Quark's place. And so even if there's no food, it's like well, it's fine. Food just slows down my drunk anyway. So yeah, so they'll still be there. Yeah, and he's getting paid by Rom, uh, probably with interest for the money he's losing on food. Oh, good point. Yeah, so you could turn that into a profit situation. Too, Absolutely, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when Cisco is going over reasons that he not, he's not sure that he can recommend Nog. Some of them I get, like, you know, you, you've had some run-ins, you, you've had some problems with Odo, um, your school grades are mediocre at best. I can't help thinking they'd be better if there was actually a school. Oh, yeah, they, they are missing that. Right, because there used yeah. to be one. And now he's like, yeah, you know, like a year and a half ago when we had a school, you weren't doing that great, Nog. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so good until Keiko was like, ah, only two students? I'm out. Right. If there were three, right. I, I could see the point. Yeah, One's a commander's son, can't fail him, and the other's a Ferengi, and you know how they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. that, and we might circle back around. We, we could. Yeah, yeah, that could be a thing we hit again. Hey, it has to be asked, uh, what exactly is Ensign Villick's pran? I'm picturing kind of like a praying madness, like Brack from, uh, Ooh, from, uh, <laughs> from, from Space, Space Ghost. Ghost. Yeah. Yes, yes. Wow, I like that. Boy, I would love to see him walking around. Although only two eggs, so mm-hmm. maybe not, because I, I figure a praying mantis, they, they have at least four. Okay, <laughs> well, it's good to know. Yeah. Um, now, when Odo is uh, coming up with a way to hopefully shatter the, the crystal rock enclosure that is around Kira, he says the ultrasonic generator would create sympathetic vibrations. I hope, Ken, like me, you immediately thought of the narration to the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. I did not. I thought of good vibrations, but I wanted to know what part mm. you're talking about, because I don't remember 
And so I've, I've at, ridden that ride many, many times now. Yeah, yeah. When you pass through Madame Leota, the seance, yeah. and then and then the, the narrator, Paul Fries, comes on and he says something about how the, the ghosts have heard your sympathetic vibrations, and now you're invited to a swinging wake, and then it's all the, the ghosts in there for the wake. God, I need to get back there soon. Yeah, yeah I know. We'll make that happen. All right. Hey, uh, an inventory job in any era, I'm going to say, is not loads of fun. Uh, but in the 24th century, look, everything is labeled with an accoutogram and you get a pad and I'm thinking things should go along pretty well. Yeah. And yet Nog found things that they had missed the last time they did the inventory a week ago. That's true. With more than one person doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've got like even the Cardassian computers are, are amazing computers compared to today. Right. Mm -hmm. We now have stores that you can walk into, walk out with stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. yeah, it's fine because we can track that kind of thing now. It's, yeah. it's just interesting. Although maybe they keep grunt work for grunts, you know, oh, for people who are like, you know, this, this. so that Ensign, it seems like is, is, um, is, is feeling pretty good about himself. <laughs> Have him inventory cargo bay 12 again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that has to be done. So, Yeah. Um, oh, oh! The mention of ancient sea shanties, like Louie Louie. That I, I loved that little little bit. Little uh, yeah, it's bit. cute. Yeah, yeah. That was that was fun. Oh, and I have to mention food here, of course. So it it almost looks like Cisco and Dax are sitting in Quark's eating sushi. Um, though you you don't want to have that on set. You don't want to have hot lights and long days and a potentially long shooting session with a bunch of fresh sushi sitting out so it looked like there was some fruit there like some section grapefruit maybe uh some banana pieces there but definitely those were rectangular sushi plates so uh i was glad to see that and ken we we can't close out without mentioning that we have a new rule of acquisition the 18th rule a ferengi without profit is no ferengi at all something I noticed about Kira in this episode. She turns to stone, when Odo is gone, she turns to stone. Turns to stone, when he is gone, she cannot go on. Turns to stone, when Odo is gone, she turns to stone. We'll discuss Heart of Stone in just a moment, but first... But first... A word from ExpressVPN, giving you back your internet privacy. You probably think that cybercrime is something that'll never happen to you, just like all the people it happens to. If you use public Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or a hotel, you're a potential target. Public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. Should you stop using public Wi-Fi? No, but you should use it safely, and you can with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. With it, you can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone. Download the app, click to connect. Just like that, you're protected and using the internet the way you normally do. Now, I got to say, John, I have said uh, many times how impressed I am by the speed of ExpressVPN. That is very true. 
I got an email from somebody the other day, um, a listener to another show that I do, mm-hmm. uh, and ExpressVPN is, is, is great. They advertise on that show as well. And he wrote to me and he said, um, I, I, you're wrong. It's not that fast. In fact, it slowed me down and he like just said all this, all this stuff that was really honestly very surprising. Hmm. Well, here's the thing. Not only have I gone and I've researched ExpressVPN, uh, but I use it myself. Like when we were in Vegas, I did not even begin to think about going onto their Wi-Fi until I was on my my um, my VPN, sure. the Express VPN. Uh, same thing with other travel that I've done this summer and things like that. And and so I wrote back to the guy and I was like, I'm really sorry about that because for me it's been absolutely fantastic. And did you have any problem canceling? And he wrote back immediately. He's like, No, I didn't even have to talk to anybody. I canceled. I got a refund. No problem. And so, so the only reason I bring that up, because I don't want it to be a bad thing for anybody. For me, it's been the best VPN that I've used so far. What I love is that this guy had a problem and they're like, okay, well, sorry, here's your money back. No problem. Nice. All of which is to say, I mean, they've got a 30 day money back guarantee. They want you to use it and make sure it's right for you. I want you to use it and make sure it's right for you. And if it's not right for you. Let them know within 30 days and you get your money back. So there's really nothing to lose and you've got all your data to protect. So here's what would be great. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N. Expressvpn.com slash mission log for three months free with a one year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. So I have a question about uh, our friend Nog. I'm going to call him our friend because we've been around him for like three seasons now. He was in the pilot for crying out loud. He was in the very first episode. I don't think they called it the pilot. I can't remember what they called it, but Emissary, I believe Mm -hmm. is what they called it. Um, do you buy the idea that Nog would never have said anything to Jake about wanting to join Starfleet? Well, see that that's uh, that was my first question too. Um, wow. I, yeah, we we I guess we have to because that's what we're told in the script. You know, mm-hmm. that, so we we have to go with that as well. Well, what's on screen must be what actually happened, but it just seems so weird. Uh, like like that would be a thing that they would hinge uh, any of the discussion uh, of Nog joining Starfleet on in this episode. Look, uh, Jake and Nog are friends. Uh, Jake has the N with Ben, <laughs> you know. Uh, Nog and Jake are are the only, well, two of the only people we've met who are their age, uh, who hang out together. Um, you just think that it would come up prior to Nog going in to see the commander. Um at least with Nog saying like, hey, tell me more about the Starfleet thing or, hey, do you think you'll be joining Starfleet? Because that that has been a discussion as well about Jake not really being interested in that career path. Perfect entry for Nog to say, really, you're not, but I am. Mm -hmm. And then that could be a a reasonable conversation for these kids to have. So, yeah, it it just seems like an odd choice. that wasn't necessary to drive that part of the plot along, you know, because you, you can still have the conversation with Nog and Cisco. You can still have a conversation with Nog and Rom and or Quark um, separate from uh, Nog and Jake just having discussion like, oh, I, I really want to try this. Well, I don't, but you should. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's perfectly all right. 
Right. It sets up another hurdle for Nog. Not like he needs, you know, many more, but it was just, it was, it was odd to me, you know, that if it was a thing that they, because here's the other thing, if it's a thing they've never discussed, then how is it that Jake's just going to assume it was a joke and like yeah, say that to yeah. his dad? I don't know. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was just weird to hear that. Yes, this is what he wants. I believe he tells uh, Ben Cisco later, this is what he wants more than anything he's ever wanted ever or something along those lines. But I didn't mention it to my best friend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, strange uh, choice there. Now, I feel like there's a lot to unpack with the whole Nog and Cisco storyline going on in this episode. Um, do, are, are we back to Cisco's kind of latent prejudice about Ferengi here? I mean, Cisco, of course, explains his justifications right away. He goes up to Nog later and says, no, this is about your school record. Uh, you've been in trouble with Odo before. So uh, this is just how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, is there something else going on here? Because Cisco is, we've seen a lot of emotional reaction out of Cisco in this episode that we may not have gotten in, in other instances with the commander here. Um, I, I mean, yes, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question really. I mean, yes, there, there seems to be that, although you do kind of wonder, is he just throwing all this stuff at Nog to like really test his resolve? Or is he actually saying, you're a Ferengi, there's no place for you in Starfleet? I mean, because, I mean, Nog acknowledges that he wants to be the first Ferengi in Starfleet. He knows mm-hmm. that he's going to be breaking new ground here. Um, yeah, it, it's... I, well, I, I don't know if it was just hazing or, or what it was. Yeah. Well, all right. So uh, let's go with hazing then. Is it fair to set up that test for Nog? And was that a fair test uh, of him to see here, go into the cargo bay and count stuff? Uh, You know, that just seems like a really odd. It it felt like hazing. That one. That one didn't seem that odd to me. Um, No. Well, only because so when I was uh, when I was what eight, I think I decided I wanted to play hockey. Never, mm-hmm. never put on a pair of skates in my life. Had no idea, but it looked cool. There was a poster up in my school. And I said, I want to play hockey. Mm-hmm. And so my mom went to a guy who uh, was actually a referee for the for the local minor league team. And uh, and I remember him saying this, <laughs> take him to the tryout, let him fall on his ass. He'll never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Except I learned to skate in one day. I was never great, but I, you know, I, I, I was standing up. I did not fall down to the point that I, you know, never wanted to play hockey. So I played for three years, all of which is to say, I understand giving him a task. No, the part that I was talking about, about hazing was, you know, the part where he's grabbing him. Yeah. Where well, he's grabbing him and says, I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going to fall. I mean, that's, that's more than hazing, but less than a test. I mean, to give him a, to give him a test of like, okay. Like Dax said it perfectly. She's like, look, it's not all about, you know, starships and, and, and phasers and stuff like that. A lot of times it's grunt work. And, you know, Nog's like, well, let me be the first to say, <laughs> you know, get straight to it. Right. So, yeah, I, I wasn't even thinking about that part as being the hazing. That just that strikes me as as sensible. Well, no, but here's why it did strike me as that, though. Like, okay, so you wanted to go play hockey. They put you on some skates. Well, well, that that's that's a hockey thing. Yeah, that's fine. Putting on skates that that is a a thing well, directly related to hockey. Now, granted, counting things in in a cargo bay may also be a Starfleet thing. Um, right. I'm not saying you have to throw Nog into the Kobayashi Maru on day one just right. to test him out. But it, it seems like there might be something that is like it, we know we can count. 
All right, we're we're probably we're probably pretty sure it can count. So if the the test was let's make sure he doesn't steal anything, well, th- this just sounds kind of kind of gross to me. All right. So let me ask you a question. We sure. have um, we, we've we've both worked for uh, uh, the Roddenberry organization for quite a while. Mm-hmm. You know that one room? Y- yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I was in there not long ago. Yeah, yeah. If Rod yeah. or somebody came to you and said, "So listen, if you want to stay working here, you have to count everything in this room, and I need it by tomorrow morning." <laughs> Would you, I mean, seriously, what would your reaction to that be? I don't want to. Okay, see, uh, yeah, yeah. so I so I, I really, uh, yeah, that seemed like the least offensive thing to okay. me. I mean, yes, right, later asking, like, and I assume he didn't take anything, that actually did seem a little bit gross, and you might be able to argue about the prejudice at that point, but at that point, he's also just kind of looking for a way to not, to not pass Nog, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, now, I wonder how it'll go for Nog at the Academy. Uh, when they they get to the topics like uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, but respecting cultural views. I mean, uh, he's bound to have female classmates, uh, female professors, female administrators, loads of female officers throughout Starfleet. Just just saying like this might be a thing to revisit since we just had this discussion last week. Well, my assumption is that he would actually be fine because what he wants is to be in Starfleet more than he wants to be traditional Ferengi. Right. Say what you want about. I mean, Nog was horrible last week. And Mm -hmm. and we'll talk later about last week versus this week, I think, because I don't know how you could not. Mm -hmm. Quark is. Quark has been as much of an influence on Nog as Rom has. Quark has been as much of an influence as anybody has. And while Quark talks the traditional game, Quark has respect for women, Mm -hmm. not Dabo girls. Not all. He's not a paragon of virtue, but there are women that we've seen him really respect. There, there are women who break the mold for whom we've seen him fall. And so I think Nog has a better shot there. I mean, you almost kind of want to pull out last week's episode for a few reasons and toss it in the pen. Because a lot of what we saw last week is not... There, I, it, it's hard to imagine that what we saw last week from Nog and and Jake and their relationship and the stuff that Cisco said about it, yeah. that that would actually still be a thing that Nog would have. This week's Nog, the one who sees something good in Starfleet based on what he's seen in the people around him, this one makes more sense to me than last week's did. Last week was boarded like, you know, oh, well, he's a Ferengi, so we'll, we'll say he's just a Ferengi and we'll just treat him like a Ferengi. Yeah. Well, I, so let's come back to this about uh, about this week's nog versus last week's nog, and uh, uh, Cisco, you, you know, turning him down in that sort of next to the last scene with uh, with, with nog. Um, but then we get down to the bottom of nog's desire to go to Starfleet. Um, Wait. Do you want to, yeah. can we, uh, yeah. can we do it cr- chronologically? Can we actually oh, sure. first talk about that scene? Sure. Yeah. Because yeah, that's... that really seemed terrible to me. Like, yeah, yeah, well, like uh, the stuff that you were talking about before about Cisco making him like do the inventory and all that stuff. That's just a thing. I mean, yeah. to me, I went for some job interview one point where they're like, you know, copy this and move it over here and change this and edit that and whatever. And it's like, all right, well, that's the kind of thing I might have to do. So yes, I'll go ahead and do that. Right. Yeah. When he grabs Nog, I feel like he's crossed a line. Right. That, that, that's the scene I'm talking about. It's the next to the last scene we have with Nog. And that, that's where all this stuff comes out right. about, about Nog. Right. And, and he, all the emotions are intensified. Everything is heightened. And, and here's the thing. I, I kept expecting 
it's a terrible thing to do to this kid anyway, but I kept expecting there to be a moment where we, we revealed that this was strategy as boneheaded, as horrible, as indefensible as it might be. I kept thinking we'd get to a point where we'd reveal that this was strategy because Cisco knew this was the way to get to the bottom of what Nog wanted. I kept thinking that there was going to be some sort of release at the end of that scene where Cisco basically says, like, we need to be able to have this conversation about what's really driving you. But instead, the the grabbing him and screaming in their faces, all of this stuff, it just seemed like, uh, okay, well, Cisco's determined to not have him in Starfleet. That's the end of it here. And it's only because of this outburst then that hopefully he will reconsider. And he does reconsider, which is fine. But my God, it, it was um, you've seen the movie Whiplash, right? No. OK, well, uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, yeah. you, you know the story, right? Yeah. OK. Yeah. And it's a, a Damien Chazelle film. He wrote and directed it. And uh, it, this seems to be a theme in a lot of Damien Chazelle's work, which is. Do you have to go through something awful? Do you have to have somebody poke and prod you and make you miserable in order to get to be the best person that you are? And I don't think there are easy answers given in his films, and particularly not on Whiplash. You can come out discussing that any way you want to, and you can go, wow, J.K. Simmons' character was a horrible taskmaster, or, wow, he really made that guy the best drummer he could be. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, and I... I, I was sort of hoping that there would be something thoughtful and nuanced in this episode when it came to this relationship with Cisco and Nog, but it really just felt out of place. And maybe it felt particularly out of place because we we want, maybe we need Cisco to be this level-headed, thoughtful, sure, he can be passionate, sure, he can have conflict, uh, but we want him to, again, be this Starfleet ideal. To me, that Starfleet ideal is, uh, uh, wow, let's have a more diverse Starfleet. Let's encourage this person who maybe isn't quite the right fit, but let's see how we can really build him up. Yeah, I don't know what you're you're basing that on, though. Do you remember how reprehensible... Riker was to Rolaren. Of course. Yeah. He was horrible yeah. to her. And and so honestly, um uh Cisco being this way to Nog, except for the part where he put his hands on him. Mm-hmm. Cisco being this way to Nog actually strikes me as a fairly starfleet way to be. Mm. E- even even through next gen. Um Picard apologizes in season seven for how brusque he was with Riker when they first met. Riker never apologizes to Rolaren, but um, think about the way everybody treated Barclay. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a, there's as much as I don't like it, as much as I wouldn't want to admit it, this is kind of a thing. Uh, um, yeah, and yes, I wanted Cisco to be better than that. I wanted Cisco to say, all right, what's really going on? See, I mean, that would have, that would have been fantastic. But I also wanted that from Riker when he's just like reading Rolair and the Riot Act for basically having the audacity to come aboard the ship where he's first in command. Yeah. I mean, there have been plenty of times where we've seen this before, so I can't really call it surprising. I want every one of them to be better. But uh, but so far they haven't been. 
But but here's the difference, though. The the tension that we get from the pilot of TNG with Picard and Riker all the way up through the end of TNG with uh, whomever it is. You mentioned Barkley, you mentioned Riker and Roe. These are all people who are already in Starfleet. And yeah, we may uh, say that their behavior is terrible and indefensible and they should be better than that. But they're all already in the same boat. We're talking about Cisco, who is a father and a kid. And that, to me, crosses a line. Um, Yeah, I want Cisco to be better in this because we've seen Cisco be better with his own kid and and have some level of understanding and sympathy there that I think is absolutely merited in in that kind of relationship. Yeah, Rom's uh, I'm sorry, Nog isn't his kid, but he's his kid's best friend. Yeah. And again, he's just this kid who wants to be a part of something better. And exactly what you said, I wanted this moment to actually come down to, yeah, you can heighten the emotions, but I want the moment to come down to, please talk to me like an equal here. Please tell me what's really going on. Grabbing him crosses a line. Now, that said, Aaron Eisenberg has mentioned many times that this is his favorite uh, Nog episode, and that is his favorite scene because he didn't know that was coming. Hmm. And that kicked his reaction into overdrive. So they got a dramatic scene out of it. Well, and I got to say, you feel it. I mean, when he mm-hmm. when he grabs Nog, I, I, I want to I want to get up and walk away. Yeah. Because I'm feeling that moment. So, yeah, I mean, not to skip to the next part, but yes, it was an incredibly well-acted scene. Um, but yeah, we can come back to, but should he have? <laughs> right. I, I, I want to talk something about, that, about the, the family dynamics that are going on here, because there was something sad and understandable with Nog talking about what's going on with his feelings about his father. Um, and then you question, well, the Starfleet, is this a place for him to run away from that problem or is this really the way for him to become the best person that he can be? Um, there's something obviously very beautiful about Rom sticking up for his son in Quark's face. So you have this whole cycle of a, of a child's evolving relationship with his parent here. You know, we, we've seen Nog just do what he's told uh, because of the the parent and the uncle uh, that he has around. We see him embarrassed and uneasy, and we see this sort of insecurity underneath it all and, and how it motivates him. And then I love that at the end, we get to see him on the same page with his dad. You know, it's this whole growth, it's this whole relationship boiled down to the 42 minutes. And honestly, they only get half or less than half of this uh, in this episode to explore that. I thought there was something great about that. Contrasted, and we're spending so much time on the Cisco and Nog story here. Contrast that with what's going on with Odo. I think the Odo Kira stuff was a little less interesting than the Odo and Founder stuff happening here because that felt like an abusive parent that felt like a parent who was telling a child you're nothing without us Hmm. this thing that you're doing with these other people this is wrong they're not really looking after you we're the ones who are looking out after you when are you coming back you know and and it was uh, a little heartbreaking to see i felt like we didn't get a huge amount of depth out of that 
but it seemed like we had two, you know, very opposite ends of uh, of a parent-child relationship going on with the A and the B plot here. For Kira, it seemed, though summer nights were calling, Stone in Love could not help herself. She was falling. Stone in Love. Heart of Stone, John. The episode is called Heart of Stone. And we've reached uh, segment four of the uh, show. This is the part where we talk about any, you know, ideas, any ideals, any messages, morals, meanings they might be trying to impart in a given episode. And then also talk about whether that episode uh, stands the test of time. Heart of Stone, Mr. Champion. Let's start with the um, let's start with the holding up. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, It's a little bit of a mixed bag. So there is actually some decent replay value here. So once you know what's up with Kira not being Kira, uh, it was enjoyable to go back and rewatch to see if there are any subtle tells being done by Nana, the actor, as the founder as Kira. Mm -hmm. And and there there are little moments which are kind of ambiguous, which I like. So that that was all right to watch. and as far as the, the Odo story here, well, it, it's not a message story, but it's a character development story. And there's so much complexity that we get to do with Odo. So kind of like, you know, in TOS, you have Spock and TNG have data. Here you have Odo as the non-human trying to understand and find humanity. So all of that is fine. It's okay. But honestly, that plot line just taken by itself, um, it it really is just solve the mystery. Uh, Something's happening to Kira. We have to figure it out. Oh, look, it's not Kira. So I, I don't think there's really anything to that particular plot that really makes this stand up as a great, you know, one of the all-time examples of what makes DS9 great. But the Odo character stuff is fine. It's acceptable. It, it just adds more layers. But here's the thing. Two episodes in a row, the B-plot is more interesting. <laughs> it's more character-driven. There's more Star Trekky stuff going on than in the A-plot, I think. Um, so... If we ask if the episode holds up, well, I think it, it, it works as a production because the acting is good. Look, the acting is always good on DS9 for the most part. Um, but I'm far more interested in how the B-plot holds up because I'm interested in Nog. And I'm interested in where he's come and where this is going and how much more uh, uh, multifaceted we're going to make the Ferengi. So... It's not an incredible episode, but I'll give it a pass uh, because of what we get out of that. How about you? Um, I think the acting is particularly good in this episode. I think um, not as bad as Waxana, but a lot of times what Nog is given to do is be Nog, right? Mm -hmm. And he was given a lot more to do in this episode. He was given more passion in this episode. And... As uncomfortable as that scene made me between Cisco and Nog, they're both fully on screen for it. 
I mean, they're there in that moment to the point that it made me really uncomfortable. Not just because he, like, you know, touched him or something like that, but because, I mean, I'm feeling the tension between them. So that's incredibly well done. Also, it hadn't occurred to me that it was her playing differently because she was the founder, but there is something subtly different, it seems to me, about uh, Nana Visitor's uh, performance in this episode. Yeah. There's a depth to her voice. There's a... Uh, Come hither is not the right word. And she's not flirting exactly, but there's something more intimate about their discussion without those words being on the page, without the words being more intimate. There's an intimacy about about the way she's talking. Maybe it's because she doesn't have to yell all, over all the machines on the bridge <laughs> or an ops. I don't know. But yeah. th there is something about that that's really neat. Um where this episode suffers is in having come straight off the last episode. Kira just lost her significant other to death. So a week later, as you're watching it, may not be the best time to say I'm in love with you. And Ben just told Jake last week not to be hard on a Ferengi because he's a Ferengi. Hashtag not all Ferengi. And yet he comes in and he's like, well, you're a Ferengi. I mean, yeah. I, honestly, this episode, the only thing that makes this episode discordant to me is... It's almost exactly the opposite of some of the stuff that we had last week, or emotionally, some of the stuff that we had last week is wildly different. That said, um, what's difficult, when we started asking this question, does the episode stand the test of time? You watch The Savage Curtain today, and no, it doesn't hold up, but I don't think it held up the day that it was broadcast either. <laughs> you watch Let That Be Your Last Battlefield today, and it's as strong and powerful and resonant today as it was 50 years ago. Um, there are other episodes like Family. Family is a great episode in the continuum of Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. But you take Family out of TNG and show it by itself? I think the answer is no. In the continuum of TNG, it's a good episode, and yes, it's well acted and all that stuff, but it's not one that you can just throw up and say, there, this, this you can watch that anytime, any standing, any anything, and it's going to be fine. The part with Odo, if you pulled that out and threw it away, or if you pulled it out and showed it, it might be kind of an interesting, almost like Twilight Zone kind of thing, but it's not particularly, you know, resonant, I don't think. Uh, the part with, with Nog is. Yeah. Because he wants to better himself. He wants to change his situation. And he wants that more than he wants everything that anybody else has ever told him he should have before. And he goes for it. And then he stopped and he goes for it harder. And then he stopped again and he goes for it harder again. And that's 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 going to be a Star Trek thing. That's going to be a Gunsmoke thing. That's going to be an any good TV thing. Not that, not that Gunsmoke is the best TV, but my point is that's a story that, that is sort of applicable all over the place. So that part I feel like actually does stand up pretty well. There are things that I wish were different. I wish Cisco had just talked to Nog, or even if he just talked to him forcefully rather than being as awful as he was about it. And, you know, just because I am who I am, I wish Nog just wanted it because he wanted it, not because he wanted to make sure that he wasn't like someone else. But even that's great because there are lots of people who don't want to be like their father and they end up being twice as bad as their father. And Nog, on the other hand, didn't want to be like his father. And so he's like, so how do I not? I wish Nog just wanted to be better. I wish Nog thought, yeah, things are good, but I want to be better. You know, but the fact that Nog is sitting in something that he sees as bad and wants to be better can't fault that at all. 
that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of uh, good to see. I don't know if there's a message there, although I guess you can say the message is if you don't like your lot in life, do what you can to change it. Um, were there other messages though? Were there things like that uh, that you picked up in this episode, sir? Yeah, and, and by the way, to your last point, I mean, I, I think that's a, um, I, I think that's why that very last moment that we get with uh, Nog and Rom and Quark together, there, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, we, we, there's a little bit of an understanding. We've taken the tension out of Nog having this explosion about saying i don't want to be like my father and he really says some difficult things about rom but when you get in there and rom sticks up for uh, for nog it's like oh well, well, well wait a minute I, I i don't hate everything about my father it's not about that it's just about i want something different and and guess what my father actually does have my back so mm. I, I, you know, if we didn't have that scene at the end of the show, I, I felt like that would have been a mess. Um, but at least we got something to kind of bookend it, uh, at least make that circle a little bit complete. It is, it is wonderful to see Rom stand up for him as well. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. Uh, to see Rom support, uh, to see Rom support Nog in that is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the major stuff as far as the messages, even in an episode that doesn't have a lot of messages. And that that's why I felt like that B plot has this very Star Trek feel to it. The, the Star Trek idea is like, go out there and go for the thing that is better. If you want that thing, go for it. Keep working for it. Um, and it's OK to break tradition to get there. Uh, that's nice to see uh, uh, Nog want to be the first and, and want to grow beyond himself. Um, and for Nog, profit isn't everything. He wants something better. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good. Um, and look, uh, just as far as Jake or as far as Cisco, don't laugh at someone else's dream. You know, they it might have good reasons for it. They might have many reasons for it. And, uh, and maybe all they need is a little encouragement. So sometimes people need a second chance. So they need that little bit of a helping hand to actually realize their full potential. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Have you checked out everything on the Roddenberry Podcast Network? Too many shows to name, but you can find them all in one place, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Destiny. Some of the music for mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Spinning the hits from Soul to the Wormhole and beyond. Radio Free Bajor is on the air. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.